was in prayer this week, and as I usually am, uh, praying, looking for God's direction. How many has ever gone in prayer just looking for direction? And um, of course, it's important that I look for direction because I'm a leader. <laughs> I mean, if the leader's lost, the whole bunch is lost. Forget it. Uh, but if I, and I was sitting there, I was listening, and, and I heard this, I heard the Lord talking about identity. And I realized something. I realized that most of what is our, if I can use the word attack, uh, I'm not talking about people, I'm not talking about physical attack, I'm talking about uh, where we second-guess ourselves or where we doubt ourselves. A lot of times, sometimes we might doubt even our salvation, doubt of, you know, if God loves us and from the things we go through, whatever. But w what it really is, what it becomes, is an attack against our identity. So I realize that Satan uses, in, in his attack mode, is attack against our identity, because if he can attack our identity, he really doesn't have to steal anything. You'll give it up. I was talking to the leadership this morning. I said, you know, I said, uh, if a thief breaks in your house, it's one thing if he kicks the door down. But what if he doesn't have to? What if you just set your stuff out on the front lawn? He just comes and picks it up. I think a lot of times what we get, what the enemy ends up doing is taking it off our front lawn, other than him to kick your door down or, or fight. Praise the Lord. Uh, I want to say that every situation in my life has always been a fight. That's what you want to say too, right? But we, I think we know otherwise. Anyway, I, I realized something. You know, I, I was working on that idea of identity and different things like that. And this is another phrase that was dropped in my heart. So I put it together and made a title out of it. And uh, from the title, I made a message out of it. From the message, we're gonna, uh, we got the scriptures together. And this is what we'll talk about this morning. But the title of my message this morning is Sanctified Intellect Through Identity. Sanctified Intellect. I'm going to talk about that because in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 35, we'll start there this morning. But sanctified intellect is a phrase that I hadn't heard uh, quite a, in a long time. Uh, there was a man by the name of William Leask. This is a, um, a Scottish uh, preacher uh, back in 1800s, I guess coined the phrase, at least in my studies that's what I could find, coined the phrase, uh, sanctified intellect. And uh, I heard another preacher say this, he says, sanctified intelligence, he didn't use intellect, he used intelligence, sanctified intelligence become the banks of a river which our faith flows, which gives the context of great faith. And, uh, but this, uh, William Lee says this, he says, great uh, intellect disassociated from moral control may become a scourge and a terror. The reward of sanctified intellect is that it shall inherit glory. Now, if you turn to Proverbs chapter 3, this is where the, the basis comes from. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 35, it says this. It says, the wise shall inherit the glory, but the shame shall be the legacy of fools. That's Proverbs uh, 3.35. A couple of words in there, of course, wise, glory, and fools. Glory means honor. So basically what, what, uh, what the Lord is, states in the scripture, he says, he said, the wise inherit glory or honor, but the shame shall be upon the legacies of fools. So I looked up the word fools. What is a fool? I know foolishness. I know some, anybody can get with foolishness, but what is a fool? The Bible says, uh, uh, from, went to the translation from the Hebrew, what is a fool? Are you ready for this? A fool, the word fool in the Bible means this. It says, it means stupid, simpleton, arrogant one. Those three English words basically uh, describe the 
translated Hebrew word for the word fool. I'll read it again. Stupid, simpleton, arrogant. Three words to describe a fool. Anybody here want to be one of those? No, I didn't think so. Praise the Lord. I didn't either. So, so, uh, but the fact is, is, he says, the wise shall inherit glory, shall inherit honor. The thing that wisdom is the thing we're talking about this morning. A wise man, in other words, the word wise means a wise man. Listen to this. So the to, to wisdom that, that Solomon is talking about in the scripture, this is the, this is the wise man. The wise man is skillful in technical work, wise in administration, shrewd, cunning, subtle, learned, prudent, and ethical. So for you, don't think it's possible to be shrewd and ethical. This is actually what it's saying. But that's what the Bible says for word. Of course, the word sanctify just means to be set apart. It means to be, uh, uh, to separate, to consecrate, to cleanse, purify, regard, reverence as holy. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now, 1 Thessalonians says this, 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm going to give you some scriptures and we'll, then I'll talk about them. Uh, but the, the 1 Thessalonians uh, 5.23 says, Now may God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may you whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification, what Paul was preaching about, he's the one that came out and said that we have three parts to us. There's a spirit, there's a soul, and there's a body. Well, we know the body is on part here we look, look at. Uh, um, it's the part that's growing older, <laughs> even as we speak. But it's different things. The, the, this is, this is the, the three parts of man, body, soul, and spirit. Okay, what is the soul? Well, the soul becomes your mind, intellect, and your character. That's basically who everybody sees who you are. Uh, this is your, your, your mental capacity, your, your, uh, what you think, what you, uh, your opinions are for, formed in your soul. And, of course, your spirit is the person that's within you that God can communicate directly to. But what happens from God's communication to speak to us to actually do the bodily acts that we need to do in faith, he has to get through your soul. So when Satan comes, if I can use that, if he comes to, to attack us, if I can use that phrase, attack, he doesn't attack your body as much as he attacks your soul. Because if he can convince you otherwise, then basically he can basically steal what you want. It's like I said with the house, laying your goods out in the front yard so he doesn't have to kick in the door. Amen? So whatever. So this is where I wanted. So, but it's an important I want to get across the point this morning. It's important to understand our identity, who, who we are in Christ, and this makes a big difference. So what happens? Okay, the, sanct the sanctified in intellect, or as some people say, in sanctified intelligence, it's not going to make you smarter. So listen to this sermon. It probably won't move your IQ one iota, not one little bit. You, you're not probably going to come out, go out of here th this morning with the same IQ you came into. However, how many know there's IQs, there's a smartness about us that we have intelligence, but then there's something that goes beyond our intelligence. When you became born again and became a Christian, that wasn't logical. Do you realize that there's nothing logical about being a Christian? Uh, to believe in some, a God that you cannot see, that you know, there's nothing logical about that. So we're not talking about logic this morning. What we're talking about is sanctified intelligence. 
Because the only way you can reach that particular level and understand or have any kind of understanding, that's another two words you got to give me, wisdom and understanding, but I'll get that in a minute. But the, the, uh, the only way you can understand even your salvation or your born-again experience is not through logic, but through a sanctified intellect that God places in you. You know because you know because you know. How many ever heard that phrase? Uh, faith is because I know because I can't see it, so it's not logical. So if we try to approach the kingdom of God in a logic or a human logic, none of it will ever make any sense. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Praise the Lord. So we'll talk about all the stuff that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but but what, he, what God does deposit in us and that awareness, that revelation that we get of who we are, why we are, what we, all comes through this sanctified intellect. So can I get on the same page? We'll talk about that. But what it does, our sanctified intellect actually works in t- in together with our identity on who we are. Now, my name is Kevin Kerr. I was born in Kingston, New York, uh, October 7th, 1951. My mom sits right here. She's 95 years old. She sits in my sanctuary. She's listened to my preaching for as long as I've been a preacher. Okay, And, and this is, well, that's where I was born in Kingston, New York. This is where, I, you know, how old I am. But is that really me? Or for that matter, if you gave your bio, would it be really you? Or is it the fact that God has given us a different identity than that? So I can say I I don't know if I can even say it anymore, if I identify with New Yorkers. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Been a long time. But can I identify, do I, do I identify with that? I could say, yeah, I was born in that state. And I can identify to a certain degree, but is that the identity that Christ has went to the cross and died for me? Did he go to the cross and die for me so I could live in New York State? Hallelujah. No, I don't think so. (laughs) Praise the Lord. So what happens is we have an identity in how we see ourselves, but then there's an identity how Christ sees us. And the only way we can recognize that same identity is through the sanctified intellect that he gives us. The word sanctified, this is set apart, this is purified. This isn't what you think of yourself. This isn't, this isn't all your insecurities. How many have insecurities? Uh, I know I, I share with you before, I share a lot of stories about my diving and stuff. I live in Key West, we live on an island. Hey, what other recreation is there? We, go in, we jump in the ocean, we breathe on air. My wife and I, we've done this for years and years and years. We love it, and this is what we do. Okay, but that's what I do. That's not who I am. I can say, well, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor of Covenant Word Church. I've been, we've been here for 32 years. I've been in the ministry for so many years. I've been from here. We've gone to other nations, West Africa. I can say all the things that we've done, all the accolades that we've gone through. I've been to Chile. I've been to Guatemala. I've been missionary trips here, all from Key West, and both pastoring a church. And these are all the things I've done. But is that my identity? Is our identity in, who, is what, in the things that we do or do we have another identity that Christ has given us? And really what the devil wants to attack, he doesn't really need your stuff. He wants your soul. He wants the way you think. He wants the way you uh, uh, communicate with God. He wants to stop all those things so the real person, the real identity that goes right down to your spirit that became born again and became a new creation in Christ, that's what he wants to attack because he has to strip that away from you. But if he can't, Jesus said in John 10, he said, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. So if he can't kill you, he'll steal from you. If he can't steal from you, he'll try to destroy you somehow. 
So he'll work in one of those three areas, whether it's physical, uh, emotional, mental, whatever. But he'll work at that area, talking about the enemy now. But what God says, Jesus Christ said, I have given you an identity. Praise the Lord. I took this out of Romans. How many know Romans chapter 6? Romans chapter 6 is a, is a popular salvation scripture that describes our salvation and our relationship with Christ. Let me give you, I did this, I took Romans chapter 6, particularly the 6th verse, and I read it in the Passion, uh, the Passion Translation of the Bible, a little bit newer translation, but I, I kind of like the way it was stated, so I, I'll, I'll put it in here. It says this, Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever depraved of its power. I'll say that statement again. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever depraved of its power? For we, co for we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would, no, so that we would not uh, continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Amen. I mean, that, that blew me away. I thought that is uh, basically what he's saying. He said, he said we put down the, the, the ideas of the flesh and we break the power of sin over us because of identifying ourselves with the crucifixion of Christ. When we identify ourselves with Christ, then basically that gives us the power to break the strongholds of the enemy. And it really does. Unless the enemy can convince us of something else that the Bible doesn't convince us of. If the, if the devil can convince us somehow, then what he does, he attacks, ultimately he's attacking our identity. Our identity is found in Christ. Our identity is not where we come from, it's not our gender, it's not our, 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 the color of our skin, it's not our, our culture, it's not how we were raised. No, 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 no. Our identity is in Christ, and we are all the same in him. Hmm, I'll let your head wrap around that one for a minute. Praise the Lord and all this stuff. So what do we see in today's society? We see a division of identities. Well, if you're identified with that, I don't like you, and basically back and forth. But basically, it's very soulish, it's very mental, very but it's not God. I said it's not God. Can I hear an amen this morning? Amen. Because our identity and everybody's identity, we were all lost without sin. None of us had a chance until Christ went to the cross and paid the price for us. Now we have a new identity, and that new identity is what God sees us in. This is what the Heavenly Father sees us in. Okay? Every other identity that we try to take over top of that, or let me put it another way, that tries to supersede that identity is to push us away from Christ. And only beckons more that we, more we need him and need him in our life. Because it leaves us shallow, it leaves us empty until Christ can fill that void. Doesn't matter what you own, it doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are, it doesn't matter where you are and your social status. What matters is that identity with Christ is, what put, is what's ingrained in our inner self, and that is what has to rise to the surface. That, who ha, that is what has to uh, dictate who we are and what we do and what we believe. Amen? So I'm not talking about, when I say belief, I'm talking about different doctrinal issues and stuff like that. That, that. We're still all working that out. But the one thing that's true, if you're a Christian, that means you're a follower of Christ. If you're his disciples, that means you're a learned one. That means we never stop learning about Christ. 
Because if we stop learning, can we ask ourselves the question, are we still his disciple if we stop learning? Because the word disciple means learned one. Amen? Praise the Lord. I believe people get trapped and are held off from following that identity because of an idea that they came up with about Christ. But it wasn't godly. Amen? Because Satan, will, he has to try to work around that true identity. Doesn't matter who you are. I mean, the, the fact is, if you're a believer in Christ, you're believing what, I, what we're talking about as far as that identity. When that identity rises up, all authority that was given to Jesus is now handed to us. That doesn't matter. Just a believer, I mean, you hear, well, I had a deliverance ministry. So does everybody else. So, so does the whole body of Christ have a deliverance ministry. You stand in that identity of Christ and you say to the devil, leave. He leaves. He might grumble on the way out the door, slam some things and break some things, but he's going he's to have to, the ultimate part, he's going to go. Amen? It's not rocket science. Why? Because it's not your authority. It's not your voice. It's not because you, you yelled loud or you spoke softly. It isn't any of those things that you have done except identify with Christ and the power of Christ is what he runs into. Because I'm talking about the enemy, runs into the power of Christ and has to leave on that account. Are we here? Amen? So that's where we're at. That's the root of the thing. I'll, I'll give you another scripture out of the, the uh, Passion Translation. This is Romans chapter 7 and verse 20. It says this, For if my behavior contradicts my desires to do good, I must conclude that it is not my true identity. Ha! <laughs> I like that. I must conclude, if, 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 if I'm being tempted and there's something that doesn't, uh, I have to conclude that's not my identity. That's not who I am. How would we say it? Come on, you're better than this. <laughs> How many ever said that? Praise the Lord. <clears throat> I want to shout that on Fantasy Fest night. Say, you're all better than this. <laughs> Even on the back of my mind says, are they really? <laughs> yeah, you're all better than this. You come out here and you act like a bunch of fools because the devil told you to. Come on, there's a higher call than this. You're better than this. Now I'm getting some amens. I'll say it again. I like the amens. You're better than this. Amen. Hallelujah. You can shout, clap your hands in this church. You won't make me nervous. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah, so I'm better than this. So my behavior contradicts my desires to do good. I must conclude that it is not my true identity doing it, but, but the unwelcome intruder of sin hindering me from being who I really am. Aha. Uh -huh. Now I got it. Now I understand. I'm being intruded upon. I'm being prevented. I'm, or, or I should say make the attempt because basically the power of God overpowers everything that the enemy tries to throw at us. Praise the Lord. Amen. We can do all the things that we feel that we need to do. We can go to the church that we feel we needed to go to, or we can stay home, not go to the church that we needed to go to, all the things that we do. Uh, we can say we're a Christian, but I want to hang out in the bars all night. You can do those things. Uh, a guy's not going to put a roadblock to stop you. But then it comes up, all those things basically comes down to one question. Am I in the place where he wants me to be? Am I saying the things he wants me to say? Am I doing the things he wants me to do? Because I'm a free will agent. I can do all the things. I can do whatever I want. Amen. Matter of fact, God will, I, we used to say this back in the old days. I'm old, so you bear with me. We used to say, God will, pre pre will preserve your right to go to hell if you want to. And he won't do anything to stop you. 
Does this set anybody free? <laughs> I hope not. Praise the Lord. But it, however, if you don't want to be one of those, this is how we used to preach back in the other day. We used to preach on how, uh, how, to, how to die properly. I think it should be the other way around. Jesus came, came to give us life and life more abundant. Same scripture in John 10. I think we ought to talk, talk about the abundance of life, not the things that attach to life. Some has interpreted that way. But abundance in life. I'm 71 years old. I'm married to this woman who is 70 years old. We've been married for 51 years. We raised two kids, four grandchildren, so on and so forth. And we, we are still having fun. Now, I don't know what your grandparents or great-grandparents are doing, but we're having fun. I don't know, can't speak for anybody else. Why? Not because we are, are cool people, and we are cool. <laughs> Amen? I mean, I mean, just take a look at, at my Facebook page. You'll know I'm cool. <laughs> I drive a classic Corvette. How cool is that? And it's red. How cool is that? I got cooled down, man. We're just cool. <laughs> By the way, none of those things are my identity. My true identity is in Christ. Those are things that we do. But I, I thank the Lord because he's blessed us because we can do those things. Amen? Because we didn't forget who our real ident- what our real identity is. Those things don't interfere. Amen? They add to our life joy, which God wants us to have, but it doesn't interfere our call and purpose that he's placed on our life. To understand that, I had to get back to this sanctified intellect. I have an intellect. I have a smartness. I can, I can, I can do all kinds of different things. Uh, um, I can work on my hands. I've done for years. I know the different trades. I grew up in trades. I can, I can build things. I can make things. I can fix things. I can do all kinds of stuff. Those are things I can do. My identity, though, is found still in Christ. So before I do the things that I can do, I ask Christ, is this the time and the season is which you want me to do at the time you want to do? When I sat down, I start thinking about and start praying, God, what would you have me do today? I come up with a different answer than what I might feel like doing or what I had planned on doing. But I notice this much. If I do hear something different, I am quick to make the change because I learned that when I don't make the change, I'm the one that suffers for it, not him. You understand, God is a deity. There isn't in him there is no lacks or deficiency. He doesn't need us. He desires to be with us. He doesn't need us to do his work. He desires to co-labor with us from the beginning. Jesus even said that. He co-labor, desires to co-labor with us. If God wanted to, I like Psalms 115.3. If you look at Psalms 115.3, it says, uh, he is God and he does what he pleases. So he can do anything he wants to do, but he chooses to work with us and to co-labor with us. I like that. And he doesn't do it in a level that you understand. He'll do it in a level that you will understand, and he'll do it on your spiritual level. So whether you're just a baby in Christ, as we used to say, or if you've been serving the Lord many years like me, he still can approach us on the same intellect that which he's given us. That sanctified intellect helps us discern for our own life. Hmm. Praise the Lord. This is coming out a little bit different. Matter of fact, I think Philippians 4.13, you all know this scripture. This is a simple one. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means my strength comes from my identity in Christ. Weakness then must become an attack 
against my identity in Christ, what I just shared with you. So my strength and everything is strong about me, well, it becomes an identity. I identify with Christ. I hear people identifying all kinds of things today in this world. Well, I identify with this, and I identify with this, uh, but I identify with Christ. Well, I identify with this particular thing, or I identify with that, but you, not, you haven't changed to that particular thing you just identify with. But here's the difference. When I identify with Christ, I actually become a new creation. To identify with Christ actually causes you to become something different. I'll let that one ferment a little bit. There it is. See, that's working the wheels. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Amen. Like I said, it's not going to increase your IQ, uh, but of wisdom, and, but it's going to increase your wisdom and understanding. I was in. I was. I woke up three o'clock in the morning. I don't know what God has to do at three o'clock in the morning, but three o'clock in the morning seems to me the magic hour for all preachers are supposed to wake up and God's supposed to speak to them. Probably because he was trying to get to us all day long, but that's the one time that we're in a deep sleep and I can finally get their, their, their undivided attention. <laughs> but anyway, 3 o'clock in the morning, and he says, he, says, he says, wisdom and understanding. I said, what do you mean, Lord, wisdom and understanding? He said, wisdom that comes from me will guide you, and the understanding will give you the understanding of the signs of the times. There was a tribe in Israel, the tribe of Issachar, uh, in the, the tribe of Issachar, and they were unique out of any tribe in all of Israel because they had something going for them that nobody else had. They understood the times that they were living in. And God said, I'm going to pour out an understanding about the time that you live in. And the wisdom, because I know wisdom, wisdom is so you can navigate the things that God has called you to navigate in the, uh, for wisdom that comes from him. You can get all the smarts you want, go to college, get all the degrees you want, still not be wise. How many know that to be true? Amen. Amen. Some, I've seen some, I went to college, I've seen some big fools in college. <laughs> Matter of fact, sometimes college seems to be where you work all those foolish things out. <laughs> anyway, but uh, the fact is, is, is wisdom is the ability to, to use knowledge. You can go to school and get knowledge, but the wisdom is the ability to gain knowledge. Now, in the world, when we say, how do we get wisdom? How do we get uh, understanding of something, wisdom understanding? We say, well, we have to go through, we have to experience some tough things, and then we get a better understanding of it. And that's true. But it's still earthly respect. But what if we could skip the process and God could just drop the wisdom, give us the things to do? We don't know why we do it because it goes beyond our logic, but we just know it's right. Have you, have you know what we're talking about. You just know in your heart it's right, but you don't know why. I drive my wife crazy with this stuff because she'll she me, well, why are we doing it that way? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You're just going to do something you don't know? Yeah, because I feel it's the right thing at the time to do, and I cannot explain it because it's not about knowledge. It's about wisdom. I got a story I want to share with you. In a, it's in 1 Samuel in verse 24. How many remember David? Uh, uh, David, of course, anointed king. You know, he killed Goliath. He was going to be anointed king. Uh, uh, Samuel was a prophet, poured his oil on David. David was the chosen. How many believe David was the chosen king? But there was another king set on the throne, which was Saul, and Saul was taking the place that David was supposed to occupy. How many ever seen somebody take the place that you thought you were supposed to occupy? <laughs> anyway, it went from David doing so well, so blessed, that Saul, the king that he was supposed to replace, rose up in jealousy, and it got so bad that he hounded David and his 600 men that he had with him, hounded him until he was going to, Saul was intended to kill him. 
they get rid of the competition. Saul had lost his mind. Now, I shared last week, there was a good part about Saul, because uh, he pulled Israel together as a, as a king. There was some good things. Isn't it amazing? I've seen this in history. <clears throat> I've seen people start out real good, called of God, purposed of God, but then all of a sudden, towards the end, they kind of lose it and fall off. Not all people, but I've seen this happen. Remember what the Bible says. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. So finish strong. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Amen. Finish strong. I was, um, one time I was, I was racing canoes up in uh, Michigan. I lived up in Michigan. And um, I, I, I heard that phrase, and this is what it means to me, finish strong. In other words, you feel like you're going to die and your arms are going to fall off. We, we were canoe race. We would get in the racing. I had a racing canoe and take two people. And uh, so, my buddy, so the buddy I had who was a canoe racer with me, he said, he says, um, come on, we're gonna, we would work out in the local lakes uh, for, for the season of canoe racing. I was in the amateur class and he canoe racing. And he says, uh, finish strong, finish strong. When he said that, I wanted to take my canoe paddle and just wrap my upside the head with it. <laughs> because you're sore, you're hurting, you're working on your body, but you, and you're racing. You know, we're, we're talking about 60 strokes a minute. That means a stroke of canoe paddle every second. And you're working and working and working and you're doing this for hour, half hour, whatever, just at that just pace. And, and he said, come on, let's finish strong. You want to just slap them one. <laughs> so whenever I hear that, but, but it's the truth. In the Bible, it says we're supposed to finish strong. This is what we're supposed to do. Paul said this way, I'll run my race. He said, I'm coming to the end. In other words, he said, there it is. I finished strong. I started out as, a, as an idiot. I, I mean, I was persecuting God's church, but I finished as one of his saints. I finished strong. I run my course. It's very few people that understand that they have completed the entire task that God has given them. Paul was in his mid-60s when they, when they finally, the Roman government beheaded him. But he, he, he marched with clear conscience. He said, I've run my race. He said, I've done, I run the course. He said, I've done everything. He said, he said, it's okay. I'm ready to go, go to a better life than this one. Amen? Anyways, <clears throat> I started talking about Saul and David. Saul hunted David, where David actually had to leave the country. He stayed in Ziglag, which was a Philistine territory. Uh, he made an agreement with the king of the Philistines, uh, which was a sworn enemy to Israel. Anyway, <clears throat> so anyway, David <clears throat> did that so Saul wouldn't cross the border and he protected himself. David and his men were out one day. They get into a cave as a hiding place. Now, I've, I've explored some of the caves in Israel. They're kind of kind of cool. But um, David was in one of these caves. Saul has got 3,000 men that he's trying to track down David to, to, to kill him. Now, they all know, David knows his life is, is being numbered. You've got, the, you've got the king of Israel and all of Israel's resources ready, honed in on you for the, for, for the single purpose of killing you. One man, that's all. Now, he, had 600, he only had 600 followers of him compared to uh, 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 Saul's 3,000. Here's where this sanctified intellect kicks in because David's hiding out in a cave with his men. Saul doesn't know where he's at. All of a sudden, he stops, and it says he takes uh, care of his needs, whatever that is. I don't know, you go to the bathroom, go take a nap or whatever. He goes into this cave. He goes into the same cave that David's in. And his men said this to him, God has delivered you 
God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Isn't this a marvelous day? The enemy doesn't even know you're here. God has delivered this. This day, First Samuel 24, 4, Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemies into your hand. Now, doesn't that look like a word of the Lord? Doesn't look like the next thing to do, Saul's by himself, his 3,000 men are sitting outside someplace, to take a knife and just end it all. Saul dead, guess what? By proxy, I'm king because of the prophet. So they, the, the 3,000 men out there have to accept me now as king. And David says, no, I'm not going to do that. He cuts off the corner. I believe it's probably the, the, the teat seat on the, on the tallit that he cut off because that was the, the tassel. There's four on the four corners. There's five knots in it, five foot books, Moses, all the symbolism. So, but that would make sense to me. He cut that off when Saul went outside, not even knowing David was in there. David said he holds up this, this tassel. Out. I could have had your life, but I didn't take it. But what happens, the conviction came on David and he fell on his face. And he said, I will not touch God's anointed. It didn't make sense in a natural. If you look at military minds, this is the perfect scenario. You just got the perfect opportunity to take out your enemy. But you see, David didn't see it with an unsanctified intelligence. He saw it with a sanctified intelligence. Yes, but if I take out Saul, it isn't God delivering into my hands and putting me on the throne. It's me in self-promotion putting myself on the throne. And I won't do it. David had so much respect for the Lord and for his call, he wasn't going to yield to self-promotion. <clears throat> Pastors, self-promotion. Amen? David wouldn't yield to self-promotion because he knew it wasn't God. But his men said it was of God. His men were wrong. God wasn't delivering Saul into the cave. God was delivering for, for David to kill him. God was delivering Saul into David so David could deal with his own identity and his own heart. I don't have to kill this king. I already am king. I'm kicking my identity. What happened? The sanctified intellect kicked into David. It doesn't make sense in the natural mind. It doesn't be, it's not even logical because you could end it today. Instead, now Saul has to deal with the fact that this guy could have had his life. Now he owes his life to David because God put something else in his heart. Instead of acting the way he thought was logical or acting the thought the way he wanted to, he acted the way God had put in his heart to be. And to treat him as his anointed. But he's trying to kill you. It doesn't matter. He's not my enemy. I'll avoid him. I'll say, oh, he's not my enemy. No, he's God's anointed. God placed him as king. I am not going to take him out. <clears throat> that happened not once, but twice. Twice David had Saul in his hands and could have killed him. Another time, all his men were sleeping. He walked into the camp with his men. And it's, it's the same he's the guy. He says, take a spear, run him through, run right through to the ground, he says to him. He says, I will not. He took his spear, they snuck back out of the camp, he stood up on the hill, he says, Saul, Saul wept because he was a second time he gave him back his life. David never did king, uh, uh, kill King Saul, and guess what, Saul <laughs> lost the anointing of God, he lost the privileges of God, he's finding his direction from the witch at Endor, <clears throat> what does that tell you? And then he was, took, him and Jonathan were killed at Gilboa, and his, their headless bodies were hung on the gates of Bethshan. 
and some other people took him down and buried him. And that was, was the end of King Saul. And then David, of course, then became king. And he began to rally the nations together and keep the nations all together, and he became king. But he didn't do it through self-promotion. Amen? Instead, his sanctified intellect told him to do something else. Did David probably want to? Hey, it's an opportunity. I don't know about you, but I'm getting tired of running. And I hate li living in Ziglag. We're always under attack in that stupid Philistine territory. Hmm. Boy, it sure looks tempting, doesn't it? Nobody's going to say anything. Nobody can do anything. And legally, they can't touch me because I am legally king when he's dead. Hmm. Makes all kinds of sense. It makes all kinds of logic. How many logical things that we do before we ask the Lord, is this what we should be doing? Amen? Praise the Lord. Years ago, when I first started the ministry here in Key West, I was given a challenge by the Lord. I said, Lord, I says, how long do I have to stay here in this place? <laughs> he says, you can start the ministry any place you want to, and I'll bless it. And he says, that's dead silence. I said, yeah, but what? He says, do you want to do what you want to do, or do you want to do my heart? I guess that is the question. Do we want to use logic, what's logical, or do we want to say, Lord, what are you, where do you want to place me? Where do you want me to be? Amen? Where do you want me to be? In one of the toughest towns to preach the gospel in, probably in all the state of Florida, at least, if not in the nation. Or someplace in the buckle of the Bible belt where everybody wants to go to church and everybody wants to uh, pat you on the back and tell you what a good job you've done preaching that sermon that Sunday morning. Amen? No, I'll do what God wants to do. Everything else would be self-promotion. I said, no, let God, let, let God do what he wants to do this morning. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, David got his idea from sanctified intellect, not from the intellect that he knows. He didn't get his, his, his advice from his, his um, generals, the ones that had the battle plans, the ones that were hardened. They were hardened battle men anyway. They were hardened uh, uh, warriors. He didn't take his advice from them, though it wasn't about warfare. To David, it wasn't about the warfare. It was about something else. It was about preserving his integrity between him and God. It was about the identity. I used to be a shepherd. God also anointed me, and now I can identify with giant killers. And now do I identify as another murderous person that's going to sit on the throne? Like Saul? Remember, Saul killed the priest because they helped David uh, escape. He was a murderer. Do I become like him, or do I have a call that's higher, and do I take the identity that Christ has given me? Help me by this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Amen. Romans 8, verse 28 is one of my favorite scriptures, because probably yours too, if I read it. It says, it says now we, we know that all things work together for, for good, to those that love God, and for those that are calling, called according to his purpose. How many, know, how many have this scripture memorized? Amen? I'll read it again. We know that all things work together for good for those that love God, and for those that are called according to his purpose. Here's the part we forget. Called according to his purpose. Amen? I can, we, can, we can go to thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people and say, do you love God? Yes, I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and so on and so forth. Are you called according to his purpose? 
because all things, the promise of all things, doesn't come onto us because we wish them. They come onto us because we're called according to his purpose, and that purpose becomes our identity with Christ. And as we identify with Christ, it opens up all things work together good. So even those things that are worked to harm you or to hurt you, the Bible says, no, it's going to work out too good. But first, we're called, to, but only to those who are called according to his purpose. I mean, I've heard people quote this, but they leave off that last part. Uh, to those who are called according to his purpose. Why? Because God has a purpose now. He's placed you in that purpose. And anyway, when I say that, people think, oh my goodness, I've got to quit my job and become a missionary in a foreign country. No, don't do that to them poor people. They've got enough problems. <laughs> Amen? No, 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 no. And we're looking to change something to prove. In other words, we're looking for the identity so we can have the identity. We're looking for a different identity than we have right now so we can call it the identity that God has me. So if God's got a call upon my life and a purpose, I know I'm not going to like it. I just know because I, brought up, I was brought up in religion. I know if he's going to make me go to church every Sunday, I'm not going to like it. So that, that's what we got. That was what we have. The purposes, eternal purposes of God boil down to his church attendance. Yes, from now on, all our leadership will have a clipboard and they'll check off your name as you walk to the door so we can give it to God and say, yes, you get a brownie point today because you came to church. <laughs> Amen? No, that's not the purpose. Why? Understand something about church going. I know I'm going to be kind of elementary here this morning, but this dulls me for a minute. We come together because we have something together we don't have apart. I say we, I mean all of us. You come to Covenant Word Church, you're not coming to Pastor Kevin's church. You're coming to God's house. Amen. Let's get that straight right there. Amen? Because if I had my idea, I'd probably be in the buckle of the Bible belt someplace. Amen? Amen. Not in Key West, Island, whatever. Praise the Lord. But this is where God not only told me to come, he also said homestead. I, I hated that prophecy for a long time. I had to chew on that one for years. Homestead? You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> that was years ago. But that, no. But what we have here is we have the power of agreement. That's at the very shallow end of the pool. We have the power of agreement. Because even if I'm, as I'm saying right now, as a lot of my preaching is, is, is for this hour, this day, right now, we're not talking about where you need to be, we're talking about where the church is going and the heading in the church. Now, when we come together, guess what you have that nobody else has? you have a blessing for somebody else. So when you're diligent about giving what you have to somebody else, it might be just a word of encouragement. You heard me say this before. Whatever you have to give away, now you've made a way and you've made room in your life for God to fill that void. What happens if I had the power not like Moses did with a staff, go down to the Higgs Beach, lay it across the ocean. I had the power to split the ocean and stand in the middle of it. Big deal. You know what's going to happen after that? The ocean's going to close back up again. And where are you at after that? That isn't the call and purpose. This is how we look at sometimes. Oh, I've got to go to this. We, we, we complain. When Moses stretched forth his rod, now what? And he split, the, he split the Red Sea, split the ocean. Now what? If you know, have no intentions of ever going to the other side, it won't matter if the ocean splits or not. 
But if the other hand, if you're using that purpose to fulfill a purpose in God, it means everything. It means, the, 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 it means life or death at that point. If you use the ocean to split for, for, a, for a place to bring God's people across, not to escape the Egyptians. If you remember that story, God had the Egyptians at bay. The Egyptians killed themselves because they, even with the power of God, they were determined to, 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 to do their own thing. And that's what killed them. God didn't split the ocean because he was afraid of his people not having an escape. He split the ocean and gave them a decision. Are you going to the other side with the promises or are you staying here with the slave mentality that you have? And that is what God asks us. Are we going to go, are we going to be slaves to the world or are we going on to the things of Christ? So when the ocean splits and the miracles happen, it's not to make you more comfortable, but the, the, the miracles happen as a way to bring you to the promise of what God says, I'll give you divine health. But if you now have no intentions of going to the other side, what's the diff? Stay where you're at and join up with the Egyptians. They'll enslave you and take you back where you came from. But God wasn't afraid of the Egyptians. He didn't make a way of escape, as I hear people say it. He made a way of choice. So the splitting of the Red Sea wasn't an escape. It was a choice that we're made. We had a decision that we have to make, and I'm out of time. Praise the Lord. You said good when I said out of time? <laughs> I'm teasing you, Suzanne. I heard you. I'm teasing you. Praise the Lord. How many got something out of the word this morning? I'm out, of, I'm out of time that I'll preach. Amen? So the next time somebody says, do you know what sanctified intellect means? What are you going to say? I got one yup, and it's the pastor's wife. Are you serious? Okay, everybody stay. We're gonna, we have to go back over. I have to start all over again. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Can't. It's Fellowship Sunday. This is a special Sunday. You know that, don't you? Happens last Sunday every month. Do you know what's on the other side of that wall? You know, I got all these people in here this morning, and all I hear, I keep hearing my wife. <laughs> Praise the Lord. How many got something out of the word this morning? Praise the Lord. Anyway, this is what God laid on my heart. <clears throat> and uh, I feel like I'm a better person for it. <laughs> there. Praise the Lord. Toot my own horn. Amen. So praise the Lord. Let's, get a, let's grab a hold of the identity of Christ and what he has given us. And let's grab a hold of that. For that, we have a different reason for why we do what we do. Same thing, but different reason. So we're here this morning. May I suggest you this morning, we're at church this morning, not to just fulfill some religious obligation. God is not impressed with that. And you can't go to enough church services to impress him. Amen? But instead, to come into the presence of the Lord, whether you're visiting here or not, to be part of this time with the body of Christ, this time, this season that we're in now, and help each other strengthen one another, grow our strength off of each other, to strengthen us and encourage us. Let me tell you something. If you can just have a word of encouragement to somebody here, you had just given your gift. And God will bless you back abundantly because you can't outgive God. You've heard me say that a thousand times. Amen. So when the next time you need encouragement, and you've paid it forward, as they say, and you've encouraged somebody else, the next time you need encouragement, guess what? Come to church, somebody will be there for you, and we'll pray and agree with you. Praise the Lord.
So now it becomes something different. It's not a bunch of religious. We don't, you don't come here and genuflect and do all kinds of impressive things as far as religion. But we invite people to come into the church to be people. How many here are people? I didn't see many hands to them. You're not sure. You're either people, animal, or food. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think you're animals. You don't look like food. So you must be people. Praise the Lord. But that's the choice, right? But, uh, but people. So how many, let's take what we, God has given us. Do you believe in the God in heaven? Do you believe in Christ and the gifts that he has given us? And do you believe in the power and the authority of him? Do you believe that this Bible is not a book of allegories, but is absolute truth? From the front to the back, from the, I, I said this when I say, from the table of contents to the maps, I believe every ounce of it is the word of God and belongs in the word of God. I have to say that nowadays because basically that's not the truth every place. Amen? It's not true. I, I don't know. I'm an old guy, so this is all I know and to believe, and this, is what I, this book has never led me wrong. But I can follow it and discern it. Praise the Lord. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go pray. Amen. <clears throat> if you came here with a need this morning, I want to pray for the need. If you came here looking for Jesus this morning, we pray you found him. No, not me. I'm talking about the Spirit of God. Praise the Lord. But uh, you found him this morning. Now, if, if you are looking for, the, for, for God and you're looking for salvation or looking for the, what, uh, then I pray you make a commitment. Identify with him and begin to follow him. Praise the Lord. Make a commitment towards Christ. If you're here this morning and you're just hungry and you want food, hang in there. We'll get, we'll get to that part. <laughs> we'll, we'll feed you body, soul, and spirit this morning. <laughs> I know you like the body part. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. If you're believing for healing, if you're believing for, for anything, we have a prayer team. We pray harp and bowl two nights a week, but our prayer warriors are praying 24-7. This is what we have. This church believes in prayer. Uh, harp and bowl meetings are on Tuesdays and Saturday nights. We come together as a group to come in agreement, to bring that prayer of agreement, to agree with people that have needs all over the country, all over the place. We get them, so we, we get prayer requests. Anyway, with that said, let's go ahead and pray this morning. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that your blessing pour out upon your people, that your presence is here this morning. Father, may the congregation this morning just didn't hear me, but Lord, this morning they have an encounter with you. Let them hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Church, have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to you this morning. The change in change for life. This isn't, a, this isn't a grievous time. This is an exciting time because God is about to reveal something that you haven't seen before. God is about to reveal in your life the next stage. He's turning the book, a new chapter, maybe beginning in your life right now because the word of the Lord works that way. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Now, the part that you've been waiting for and the part that you're really excited about, I'm going to bless the food.